What's up, everyone? Welcome to this episode of the podcast. Uh, really excited about this episode, to be honest with you. I hadn't talked to Brian before from Day Six Arrows. I knew about his products and, and had tested them with uh, the Bro Crew, but uh, Brian and I had a chance to talk and sit down about um, arrows and a lot of the uh, cool topics floating around with arrows components and momentum versus KE FOCs. And uh, I had no idea going into this episode, but uh, I think I told him in the episode, I'm like, man, you and I are like brain twins. <laughs> so we had a lot of common uh, philosophies and a lot of common beliefs when it comes to building an arrow and what you know what guys should be looking for in their setup. And uh, it was really refreshing to see a heavy arrow guy um, have his mindset. And uh, just really appreciated him uh, giving me all of his feedback and, and all of his answers and stuff. And I learned a lot from the guy who has a lot more experience putting animals on the ground than I do with a bow, whether it be trad or compound. And uh, there's there's a valuable opinion here when it comes to Brian. And uh, really look forward to doing future podcasts with him as well. And again, he's from Day Six Arrows, which uh, is a higher quality arrow and. Uh, I'll be testing those out later this year along with some other cool stuff that he has coming around the bend. So uh, hopefully you guys really enjoy this episode. I know that I had a blast uh, recording this. There's some kind of drier content in here uh, just because I wanted to learn some stuff about aero manufacturing from kind of a nerdy, geeky standpoint. But for guys that are really trying to figure out what's the best arrow for them as far as a setup-wise for weight, FOCs, all this stuff, you're going to get a lot of really good information. And, uh, you know, I couldn't agree more with Brian on pretty much every point he made. It was just a great podcast in general. So, uh, without any further ado, Brian Broderick from A6 Arrows. Because um, when, I, when I messaged you originally about the, uh, the, the arrow equation, and uh, I'm like, I've been having that in my head for about a month now. I'm like, because some of these guys are just... Well, you know, you get these guys that have this this thing, and then they just go all in and screw, you know, moderation. I'm going to go 800,000 grain arrow, and or I'm going to go right. a – it just – and so that kind of was like, man, I'm just listening, especially with, with trad guys even more uh, so, but understandably. Um, it just seems like guys always take things to the max and then uh, go over it, and so this – <laughs> this having somebody that, that creates a heavy error on here, I thought I thought would be a great idea, and I've been wanting to talk to you since I um, since I was testing your arrows with the uh, born and raised guys. Just looking at the the design of the arrow, I really right. liked them. Right, right. So yeah, uh, yeah those go those goofballs didn't tell me they were doing that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And I said, hey, if you're gonna put me heads up against a guy with a stainless collar let me send a stainless collar <laughs> don't don't send me to a gunfight with a knife you know yeah yeah they're like oh does it make a difference <laughs> those are the those are probably the some of the best elk killers in the world right there but technical guys they are not <laughs> well cody cody uh with the, with the bow aspect of it he likes to keep it under the rug but he knows his way around a bow pretty darn well yeah now, yeah. now i will say cody does know yeah stuff yeah sure but trent and, is uh you know which which side's the pointy end all right here we go <laughs> well what's funny is is i sent i sent um uh four dozen arrows up originally for those guys um and you know the Trent and Trevor are pretty close to the same. Steve's a, definitely a distinct difference, and mm -hmm. so is Cody with his albatross arms. 
<laughs> so, uh, and somehow or another, Cody is the only one that got the right arrows oh. out of the, out of the four. And the other three had all their arrows mixed up. And oh, I was just like, good <laughs> gravy, good gravy. They start calling, goes, man, I don't think this is right. I'm like, no, it's it's not right. Steve is like a a 400 spine, 26 inch draw, and you're mm-hmm. supposed to be a 329. How did you end up with his arrows? Right. And they said, man, just, just help us out and send us a list. <laughs> right. Well, they let's, pretend, you know, let's, uh, l- well, let's get an uh, intro for you here. So, uh, for yeah. the guys listening, I'm sitting down with, uh, Brian and, and why don't you, why don't you give him a little rundown of who you are, Brian, what you do? Oh yeah, no problem. Um, uh, born and raised in the South in Alabama, um, been a bow hunter for a long time and, uh, uh, started uh day six gear uh this past summer um basically uh ended up in the arrow business by default uh was going to help my buddy um kind of improve upon zelor uh he owned that company over in uh, australia and we were going to work together and approve uh, you know improve on that product and then bring it into the states at a higher level and um hmm. About midway through that, he got me really passionate and spun up about it. I'd been shooting those arrows for years, and then he decided to go a different direction. Um, and so uh, that's how kind of how Day Six was born. I thought, well, you know, I don't want to start this company as Zelor Arrows again because I plan on I want to have a company that I can build all kinds of really neat products. You mm-hmm. know, so that's why I kind of rebranded it as day six and called it day six gear. Um, because I felt like if I was going to go and do this, I want to build a lot of cool stuff that I've been wanting for years Mm -hmm. and I don't want to limit myself to just arrows. So that's why we did what we did. And so, um, what's the deal with, uh, day six? Well, day six is the sixth day of creation. Um, it's, it's the day that, that the animals were, uh, uh, created and and man to rule over them so i just thought it was kind of a kind of a neat um yeah a neat name and of course everybody thinks it means saturday so you can go with that either <laughs> yeah well no, i like i said man when i when i finally got my hand on your arrow um that that day was the first day i think i had heard of them and uh cody you know, like Cody knows his stuff. And, and when he's like, tell me about this arrow, I was like, all right. So that, that immediately put it on my radar. And then when I saw the component system that you had put together, um, I saw how thick the walls were. I'm like, man, these are going to be a freaking tough arrow. And yeah. uh, it was just the weight, the micro. Um, I'm like, if I was going to design an arrow, uh, it would be pretty, pretty freaking similar to that. Um, and I just... I just really caught my eye and I really liked them. And, uh, those guys aren't going to use something if it doesn't work. I mean, they're just killers. So no, and I, and I, you know what, this, this is the, this is the honest truth. Um, I, I found these arrows in, in Australia, I guess about three years ago. And I had always wanted that arrow. And so when I found the Z Lords over there, I thought, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, this is like, 80% there. Um, but I didn't like the component system. It, they were just way too big and, um, uh, just not what I was looking for. And so I was kind of cobbling up those shafts with some aftermarket, you know, components. And I thought, man, 
there's nowhere you can get this product put together in one place. This really needs to happen. And so, you know, I'm like you, when I first got my hands on them, I thought this is exactly what I want. Mm -hmm. I just want to tweak it here, here, and here. And so when Cody was down deer hunting with me last year in Alabama, I was shooting them then and he kept picking them up, playing with them, looking at them. And he's really onto something here. This Mm -hmm. is incredible. So, um, I just got real fortunate having friends like those guys and having friends like Aaron, uh, Snyder and Mm -hmm. and some other guys that really wanted the same thing I did and were willing to throw in with me and help, you know, get it out there for people to see, because honestly, Garrett, I mean, if I would have started this down here in Greenbow, Alabama and started showing the people I know, nobody would know who the hell we were. You know, so you just got to get lucky every now and then and have some good friends that'll help you, you know. Well, it, your your startup kind of reminded me of the way Iron Will started out, and, and I loved his business plan was, is and I, I don't mean to take away from anything, it was like, get get that shit in some, pe- some really well-known people's hands and let them use it. Um, you yeah. Know, he got his in Cameron Haynes, Joe Rogan, Aaron Snyder, you know, I mean, he just sent them to the right people. And, and your, your plan was like, man, he's sending them to the right people. <laughs> you know, Well, the thing is, is that, you know, you figure the, the, my two, my two friends that were quote unquote in the industry are, you know, Cody and Aaron. Mm. Good and friends so, to have. Well, and it, it didn't have anything to do with business. It was just, mm-hmm. these happened to be two of my friends through hunting. Mm. And, um, you know, they wanted the same product and they liked it. And my gosh, I mean, how could you pick two better people to, <laughs> to start, you know, shooting right. your product? I mean, it just, look, it, it's, 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 it, it is, it is a, it is luck and it is a blessing right? Uh, just to have those, those kind of guys in, in my life. And so, uh, and then the product just kind of held its own once people got their hands on it, you know. For sure. Well, I want to get into some some of the things here because you're the first person. Um, I do have a contact at, at, at Easton Archery that uh, I, I ask a few questions, but um, you're the first person that has really probably has the knowledge of how an arrow is made from start to finish and, and materials used and, and stuff like that. And so I'm sure. curious because Gold Tip really touts, you know, the way that they make their arrows and all this stuff. And then Easton has their way of, you know, we use this carbon. Um, tell me about the materials used and, and kind of why that's important to use certain types of, I guess, types of carbon. That's probably not the right word, but. Um, no, no, there it, it, it is. Um, I'll get. I'll give you some um, some bird's eye view um, uh, looks into like how a, a carbon arrow is made, the different types of material, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm not going to get into the weeds exactly how we do ours, mm-hmm. um, only because it is slightly different, um, and I kind of want to keep it that way for as long as I can. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I I totally get that. Yeah. And, and let and let me say this too that there's pros and cons with everything and I'll, as as deep in the weeds as you want me to get I'll I'll tell you but so with regards to to the different types of carbon uh, you have um, woven carbon uh, which is going to be uh, strands that are oriented uh, in different directions or woven uh, together like a fabric 
and then you have um, what's called uh, uni or unidirectional carbon, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, as, as the name says, uh, is carbon that is all going one direction. And so a lot of times what you'll see is the, the, the woven carbon or the woven fabric. Uh, you'll see basically on the outside laminate, and it's basically, a lot of times it's more cosmetic than anything. Hmm. Uh, I will say that there are definitely some, some benefits to, to having a mixture of the two um, just for being able to orient strengths uh, or orient uh, the fibers to provide stiffness in certain directions. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. The next thing you have is the different classes or grades of carbon. Is this the stuff you want me to answer? Yeah, I, I just was okay. curious, you know, like, because you have, you know, the axis infused and, and stuff like that. And I'm just kind of, I've always struggled of like, well, how do we know what's the, you know, what are some of the better carbons out there versus, you know, and, and you're going where I want you to. So keep okay, going. Okay. Keep going. I, all right. I, I don't want your eyes to glaze over. No, no. I, I, dude, about. I, I, I love getting into the, this kind of stuff. So, okay. All right. Yeah. No, no, no. Okay. So then you have like the different, um, and keep in mind, I have a, uh, a limited background in composites, but I do have a, a background in composites mm-hmm. as it pertains to some other businesses before I got into the aero industry. So I knew enough to be dangerous, but I did know enough so people couldn't bullshit me. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, so you have your different grades of uh, carbon. And so that would be the different modulus. So you have like high modulus medium modulus, low modulus, that kind of thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And basically what that is, it's the, it's the quality of the, of the carbon. Okay. Mm-hmm. So for example, like a high modulus, um, carbon, the individual strand is very strong. So you don't have to use as much material to achieve the same, uh, stiffness or strength. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what a lot of your high-end um, uh, arrows are made from is high-modulus carbon. Mm-hmm. And that is why they're expensive because the high-modulus carbon raw materials is double the cost of just standard modulus, okay? Okay. So anyway, the, the, the benefit of a high-modulus carbon is the strength, uh, the, the strength of each individual fiber. You don't have to use as much material. Therefore, you can build a light arrow. Hmm. Well, we didn't want to build a light arrow. So, you know, it really, it really wasn't um, necessary for us to use a 100% high modulus uh, uh, carbon matrix, if you will. When you say matrix, that's the blend of the hmm. epoxy and carbon and all that stuff. So when we say high modulus, I'm guessing that would be like a gold tip pro hunter? Man, I don't know. Because it's super um, light, super strong. Is is, that's just why I was asking? Probably, probably so. Uh, But believe it or not, I have I I have spent as little time as possible digging into how the other arrows are made Mm -hmm. because I was so focused on how I wanted this made, and it was so different than the standard stuff that it was hard to get even some of the factories to talk to me because they would all say. Oh, well, it's going to be too heavy that way. Well, no, that's what I want. <laughs> so, 
Hmm. So anyway, it was, it was very difficult to do that. Um, but yes, it probably is. Uh, most of your high-end arrows are made with high-modulus uh, carbon hmm. or graphite, if you will. And you don't have to use as much material to get a super stiff arrow and not have a lot of weight. Okay. So anyway, you know where I was headed with this as far as what arrow I was trying to build. Mm -hmm. I needed more material. So, you know, the only thing you can do is go to a lower modulus material where you have to use more or you can change the way you orient the strands. And so we did a combination of those two things you know, to try to get this arrow where we wanted it as far as like grains per inch and all that. Mm -hmm. The Zelor arrow was already there for the most part, but it didn't have like the tolerances and all that we were looking for mm -hmm. uh, as far as the consistency of the outside diameter um, and with regards to like the, the spine consistency. Now, yep. the straightness was always pretty good. Um, but those other two things, there were variables there because of how they were being made. And with arrows that take an outsert component, if you have inconsistencies in the outside diameter, mm -hmm. because the inside diameter of an arrow is always going to be the same. So, uh, you know, a 165 ID arrow is always going to be 165 because it's wrapped around a mandrel that's 165. And so, so ID is internal diameter, just so folks. Inside diameter, yep. Yeah. So I just making yep. sure people understood exactly what you were saying there. Yeah. So that's always going to be the same, you know. Hmm. Um, so if you can imagine a toilet paper roll, um, you know, you may wrap the same amount of squares around a, a toilet paper roll. The little cardboard centerpiece thing um, is always going to be the same and the outside diameter of that toilet paper roll, they all may be a little bit different. Well, it's mm -hmm. the same thing building an arrow. So if you have inconsistencies in the outside diameter and you've also got a machined metal component that's supposed to slide over the outside, well, you can't really build those two to tight tolerances if the outside diameter of the arrow is fluctuating up and down the shaft. Hmm. So if it's 255 at the cut end and then you, if it's a 32 inch shaft, it's 255 and then you come back four inches to make a 28 inch arrow and you cut it and it's 252. Mm -hmm. Well, then you're going to have, and say that you've built your outsert to 256. So you'll have one thousandths of, of room to be able to get it on there and have a glue bond. Mm -hmm. Well, now you go to having, I mean, making me do math here, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> You know, four yeah. thousandths tolerance of, of a delta between the two instead of one, and now you have wobble yeah. on, the, on the component. More room for air, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, and then okay. the on, you know, the 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 opposite of that is is that if you're building two fifty two arrows and you have a an outsert that's an outsert that's two fifty three, mm -hmm. and then when you cut it, it ends up being 255 or 256. Then you have to sand the crap out of the arrow to get the outsert on. Hmm. So that's really where I was trying to focus, you know, what I wanted as far as the tolerances from the, from the factory was just try to get that more consistent. And what could I do as far as my spec requirements to try to get that as close as possible. And it's a, it's an ongoing battle. I assure you. <laughs> Well, I, I'm kind of curious of why, and this is just from my from my understanding, being from Alabama, most guys are after those higher 
KE arrows. They're not really worried about momentum. They want to shoot faster. So where, where did this whole momentum thing, I know you said you're building up for a friend. Where did this whole momentum uh, mindset come from uh, being in an area where it's mostly whitetails? Because it seems like most guys are after the light arrows uh, over there. Well, they are. And, and, and to put it in perspective, if, if well, I'm not going to get into what we've sold, um, but we've sold three orders in Alabama. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, you know, when, when I wanted this arrow for myself, it was because I've always been a heavy arrow guy. And the reason is, is that I started working in an archery shop in 1989 or 90. Hmm. So, um, I'm a little longer in the tooth than, than some of these guys. And so, we started back in the old days when the bows were crap. Um, you know, when I, when an Oneida screaming Eagle was like at the top <laughs> of the class, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That was like groundbreaking back then. <laughs> um, I can very honestly and proudly say I never did shoot one of those POSs though. But, um, <laughs> um, but back then, you know, we're shooting heavy arrows, standard aluminum inserts, Thunderhead 125s, I can probably say I never shot muzzies either. Um, <laughs> and, um, but you know, Rocky mountain razor heads, wasps, wasps, you know, the old, and then of course we had the, the old two blade bear, super razor heads, the mm-hmm. swickies, you know, all that stuff back then. Well, we're shooting bows back in those days and tuning and building bows for, um, you know, people. And we're shooting a slow, heavy bow that is blowing through everything we shoot. And so I went on my first elk hunt at, uh, Oh gosh, I guess it was in 91 or 92 out in New Mexico. Hmm. And, um, and I didn't kill a bull that year. Um, but I I had a a lot of encounters and all, and I went back the next year and I killed a bull and I had killed a bull with more of a whitetail setup, uh, like an aluminum 2213, um, hmm. and, uh, and, a Thunderhead 125 and I killed the bull, but it was pure luck. I, I shot the bull at 45 yards, thought he was a lot closer. The arrow dropped, it hit him right in the heart. I got seven, eight inches of penetration and just happened to go right in his heart. Oh man. <laughs> and the bull that took two steps fell over. But I realized then that that wasn't going to work for elk. So I came back, started setting up heavier bows, 2219s, the heavier arrows, mm-hmm. um, heavier broadheads, um, and started having a lot more success with elk, moose, bear, stuff like that. And believe it or not, I was taking all these trips and doing all this stuff back then. I don't know how I got to that point, but no one else was really doing it from where we were from in Alabama. Mm-hmm. But I was pretty much spending, by the time I was 21, 22 years old, I was spending the entire month of September living in my truck with a camper shell in a Western state. I'd start at Idaho and then moved down to, you know, around Meeker, around Colorado, hunting there, and then moved down to New Mexico. I would do that every year. Or either hmm. I'd go, you know, moose hunting or caribou or whatever. I just basically took everything I made and spent it on hunting and lived like a hobo, you know? <laughs> so, cause all I want to do is hunt. Right. But once we went to those heavy setups, I understood what a heavy arrow did. And then for some reason, we all went through this mental lapse. 
and thought that these new bows we have to shoot lightning fast light arrows now keep in mind lightning fast back then was 260 mm-hmm. with like a seven six seven grain per pound arrow <laughs> jeez you know mm-hmm. but if you hit the 260 mark back then with a 300 grain arrow i mean you were you were yeah. overdraw <laughs> oh yeah 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 overdraw 24 inch arrow mm-hmm. you know 85 grain broadhead <laughs> you know and somehow I went through that phase. It didn't last very long because there was so much failure associated with that. Mm-hmm. That when I when I finally hung the compound up back then, that would have been in 95, 95, 96, when we were going through our speed phase. I ran into a guy that was building custom bows, and I built he and I built my first recurve together. And I went into the trad world and stayed there for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And understanding what a heavy arrow moving slow but flying properly with a cut-on-contact head will do mm-hmm. out of a trad bow, it's a no-brainer when you move to a compound. So I guess that is a 30-minute long answer on how I got started on heavy arrows from Alabama. No, but no problem. Was, I mean, it was, But it was from failures with light arrows. Yeah, that's 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 the stuff that I'm looking for, and and I kind of want to get into your process here. And I've got so many questions uh, in my head that I will probably probably more than what you want to get into. No, that's okay, <laughs> but man. It's okay. I, I really geek out on on arrows. That's kind of my my probably my favorite part of archery is is the arrow and the broadhead aspect. Um, so for some manufacturers out there. Let's get into the manufacturing as far as coming out with your specs. Some guys will take a third, I think a thirty-one inch arrow, and then measure the straightness. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, what is your process? Because I feel like some arrow manufacturers maybe kind of cheat that process to get the best straightness they can, while some are measuring a longer arrow, so they're getting more defect, even though they're probably actually a straighter arrow. Well, that is that is a. Uh, very loaded question um, as far as like speculating on what some of the other arrow manufacturers do. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you this, the, the only way to truly test the straightness of an arrow is basically down its axis with um, a laser. Mm. And that's the only true way to get a true average of what it is because you know, I think the industry spec is is plus or minus whatever you're calling it within the within 28 inches. Okay. okay, so if you've got a 32 inch shaft, you're basically measuring 28 inches of that shaft to see if it's plus or minus 1,000, plus or minus three. Okay. So let's say with our arrows that we that we are selling as plus or minus 1,000. I'll have one section on that 28-inch range uh, of that arrow that may go plus or minus 2,000, okay? Mm-hmm. And then I may move six inches down, and it may be plus or minus a quarter thousand, like it won't even move the needle. Hmm. And then so on and so forth, and you move down, and then you take that average, hmm. and that's kind of how people are checking them to say that's what they are. The way we do it is, is the spec we do, we do it with two specs. We have, and this is done at the factory, uh, but we also check them ourselves when we're building them up. So, and let me just say this before I get into all this. Mm-hmm. 
do we send arrows out from time to time that are not plus or minus 1,000? Absolutely we do. Do we mean to? No. But we 100% do. Any area manufacturer that tells you they don't, well, I'll just say that we do. So yeah. um, I don't ever want to disparage anybody else. So, But I know that we do. And here's why. When that arrow leaves that factory, it could very well be plus or minus 1,000. So, but keep in mind that the curing process and epoxy and the way you're building these things, it may be cure, cured enough to shoot and do all these different things in 24, 48 hours. But that curing process is just like concrete or anything else. It continues to cure over long periods of time. I mean, I think they said that concrete takes like 20 something years to actually fully finish curing hmm. and all of this stuff continues to happen. So let's say that, that we build all, you know, we have all our arrows built, they're packaged and they're put and they're, they're crated up and shipped to us. Mm-hmm. Well, what if on the way over some guy making, you know, nine bucks an hour, you know, takes a, a another pallet, pushes it over against ours and wedges our boxes over at an angle mm. for three days. So those kind of things can happen. So just because you, they leave the factory at, at 1000s don't mean that doesn't mean that they may stay that way throughout their life. The other thing is, is how they're stored. You know, if you store them leaning at an angle or whatever, different things can happen. It's life. It's the real world. Don't make excuses and bullshit about it. Just tell the truth. So the way we have ours tested at the factory is, is they shoot a laser down the length of them mm-hmm. and that's the only way to get it. And then they have one that they test for um, uh, the concentricity and then also the, the, um, uh, the outside diameter spec that we're, you know, and it's basically on a sled and mm-hmm. the laser looks like basically like a, it's like shooting straight down like a chop saw. And you basically slide that sled up and down and it'll give you your average as the arrow is spinning in that sled. Okay. And it also will, you know, measure and gauge like the thickness to make sure that our outside diameter thickness spec is met. So all of these things are done and we actually will test them all the way out to within two inches of the ends of both arrows, which most people don't do that. But Mm -hmm. we go out that far and because we want to make sure that when they leave the factory, they're as close as they're going to get. Okay. And then when we get them and we're building them up, we're spin testing them and checking them on a Ram. You know what I'm talking about? The Ram arrow tester, uh, the spine tester where you spin it and it has that gauge. Yeah. But you also can check the, you know, the straightness and the, and the concentricity of them well, hmm. with that same machine. Okay. So it does all kinds of, it's a great machine. So anyway, we check them with those to make sure that they're, um, you know, still within spec. But every now and then we have a few that slip by. They may go out at a three thousandths average. Um, <laughs> not what we want, but it certainly can happen. And anybody that's bought arrows over the years knows that you're going to get 12 and eight of them are perfect. Four of them are okay. And yep. we try to make it to where as many of those are as perfect as possible within our control. I will tell you this, there's not many humans alive that could tell the difference in a 3000 straightness arrow and a 1000 straightness arrow. Um, 
I'm the glad you brought that up. Are just not there. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that leads actually leads me into my second question. Because something that f- just from shooting a lot and, and and you know affording what I could afford when I started out versus what I can afford now today, uh, shooting like a six thousandth um, arrow, uh, yep. like an old Beeman, going to from that to a you know a, even a three thousandth or a one thousandth. <laughs> It took a big difference for me just to notice, but I personally, and this is something, and and uh, talking to a guy that's in the industry would be great to hear your feedback on this opinion. I've had the opinion in a lo- for many years that I really don't care about the straightness to a certain point. I mean, six thousandths is, is still plenty accurate. I'm more worried about spine consistency, and for me, that through the years, I you know. It just seems like I'm not going to outshoot a point zero zero three to a point zero zero one. I'm not that good. Uh, it's just I, I can't do that. I, I think my groups did tighten up between a point zero zero six and a point zero zero three. But I, I good luck proving it. You know, uh, where's what's your opinion on that? Because I I've, well, I've just always preached you know spine consistency over straightness. You answered the question. I don't need to answer it. You answered it. The difference <laughs> is it, it, spine consistency is what's paramount. That is key. I'll tell you this. I could take a zero zero nine thousandths arrow that has perfect spine consistency mm-hmm. and, and it will outshoot a one thousand straightness arrow that ha- doesn't have good spine consistency. Hmm. That is it in a nutshell. And, uh, and you can say I've sat at a dinner table with what, what, what I consider one of the best archers in the world. Mm-hmm. And he has said the exact same thing that you said. Okay. And, and I'll tell you another thing that he, I'm not going to say who it is, but he's one of the best in the world. He also said that there are only a handful of people out there that could notice the difference in five to six grains per arrow difference, much less 10 grains. Uh, per arrow difference mm-hmm. and he did he, he said that he didn't even obsess over getting them closer than five grains so you know most of our guys that buy our arrows i mean they're matching them within one or two grains of each other total build same here uh, yeah and and he just said look doesn't matter so um but the spine consistency that is it that is it in a nutshell how it's reacting to that constant pressure from that bow that's going to be it's going to be repetitive coming out of that bow mm-hmm. if from arrow to arrow how it's receiving that energy varies that's where you're going to get your 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 erratic flight i right. would shoot a zero i would shoot a six thousand straightness arrow all day long never bat an eye as long as it was high quality and consistent spine right. that's it that that is it in a nutshell so you're you're tracking right as far as what I believe in. Well, that's just from my, my experience. And I, I'm always hesitant to put those out there. It's like, man, because I'm like, good luck proving that, you know, one way or another. I hate making statements that you can't really definitively definitively prove. Because um, it is really, I mean, like you said, it's super hard to outshoot a straightness. I mean, it is, I mean, my groups at 60 yards, I mean, you were you were taking a measuring tape between the 6,000s and the 3,000s. I mean, it was like... And you had to be shooting great, like extremely well to be able to tell the difference with those. And it was like, man, you know, like just thousands of arrows. I'm like, I just convinced myself. And so 
you validating that. <laughs> I feel like I can actually go out there and say more confidently now for sure that you know, there's other guys, especially at that world um, uh, class archer that you mentioned there. Um, yeah. That that really that makes me feel good about my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. when th when this guy and the reason I'm not mentioning his name is is he gets paid a lot of money from a big Arab company. I'm sure. I'm, I'm I sure. I, I'm sure I, I can know. figure it out. Yeah. But you know one of the most honest per people I've ever met and mm -hmm. not trying to sell anything. He just said, look, five to 10 grains doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Not a big deal. You know, plus or minus 3000, 6000 straightness doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. If the spine's not consistent, you got a problem. And that was it. I mean, that's it. That's it in a nutshell. So for sure, you know, and even knowing all of that, I still obsess over my arrows and match them to within one grain. <laughs> Same here. It. I Same cannot here. help it. I, I was going to say I all of my the process probably. I, I think that's what it is too. It's almost like a therapy, and I'm the same way. If if they're not within a, a grain, I just. They're, they're a field tip arrow. They're a 3D shooting arrow, and that's what they are. <laughs> yep. Uh, but yep. I, will give, I will give this to having a maybe a lower grade arrow is that, you know, my, my refining process for actually building a batch of arrows, and, and I've got friends that have probably a little bit better process because they get, you know, like you, you hit the nail on the head, four out of 12. Um, arrows out of a dozen you know you're gonna have to tweak some of those arrows to get them to shoot a broadhead it seems like out of that 12 right. yep. and you know i've gotten mine down to where it's like 10 or 11 are good and with my process and then i have a buddy that's like dude i don't have any problems with it but he goes even farther than i do so having a a, a lower grade arrow kind of forces you to to really increase your process and be more efficient and more accurate and more detail oriented to get those suckers to fly. <laughs> I yeah. mean, so yeah. my, my process, you know, I do the bear shaft tuning. I do all that stuff. Um, you know, yeah. certain arrows, we cut off both ends instead of just cutting off a of one. Um, I guess my, my next question would be is cause you're, you're a heavy arrow guy. I, I'd be really curious to it, it, um, hearing what your actual arrow setup is. Oh yeah, no problem. So, uh, which which of the forty bows are you? Want me to <laughs> let's go. Let's go elk. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> I, I've had a, I've had a traditional bow sickness for about twenty twenty two twenty three years, and uh, um, I finally broke down and designed my own because I never could. Well, I think I pissed off every boyer in the country <laughs> trying to get them to build what I wanted, trying to tell them how to build their bow my way. Yeah, and I finally convinced a good friend of mine who's an incredible warrior to do it for me. So, I think my 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 uh, bow buying um, craze is probably over. I think I finally <laughs> built my unicorns, and I'm happy. Right on. But with regards to um, a compound bow, I'll tell you exactly how I like to set one up. Okay, so. So what is IBO measured at? 30 inches? Isn't that right? Yeah, seven grains per uh, per pound, so 350, 30 inches. Yeah, uh, 30 inches, right? Yep. Yep. And at, at, at what way? Um, uh, uh, at what weight is IBO? Well, uh, there's tested? that's a really good question. It should be 70 pounds, but um, to go on a little bit of a tangent here, if you don't mind, I was actually researching that the other day because, you know, these these obsession bows are totally missing IBO when guys are, are – uh, some some of the obsession bows. Yeah. 
And uh, we're talking 15, 20 feet per second slow. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? So I started looking at what IBO is and it's, you know, 30 inches, 20, um, or 30 inch draw length, 20, 70 pounds, 350 grain IBO or 350 right. grain arrow. And right. I'm like, okay. And then now there's, there's some articles that say, well, it's, it's IBO is seven grains per inch or seven grains per pound. I'm like, okay. It doesn't say well, anything no, that's about, not, that's not, that's not, that can't be right because, uh, you can't advertise an IBO speed unless there's a set weight. That's what I was thinking. And that's why you yeah. have like Hoyt using the ATA, which, which has a set weight at 70. And yeah. so I'm thinking maybe obsession is trying to measure these bows at 80 pounds. Yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you this, that I'm dating myself, of course, but I told you that I was, <laughs> I was, you know, working in an archery shop, running an archery shop in either 89 or 90. I can't remember what year it was. I was still in high school. While I was fixing to graduate high school. And so, but I want to say, and I'm probably going to get just hammered for being wrong, but <laughs> let me just preface this with, I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. So <laughs> don't hold me to remember what happened 30 years ago, but um, but I want to say that IBO was measured back then at 60 pounds, hmm. but it was 30 inches though. Okay. And so, and, and I may be wrong, but I, I, I want to say that back then it was 30 inches at 60 and I knew that they had raised it to 70, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that if it was 70 pounds across the board or it was just the seven grains per pound. That's why I was asking. I figured you would know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we, there's... we figure we figure IBO when we're setting our charts up. We're figuring IBO at seventy pounds, uh, thirty inches, mm-hmm. um, and then the the IBO rating of seven grains per pound. But that's not the way we're building arrows. We're building our chart based on what our arrows are and how they spine at those weights. So, hmm. um, so let me back up. You asked me about an arrow setup. This is my philosophy on it. Okay. My philosophy is, is that, um, at eight grains per pound, a compound bow is the most efficient based on my testing. Okay. Hmm. So if, if, um, so if let's, I'm I'm trying to word this right. So people don't get confused. So let, let's say it's like a like, like a uh, like a gear in your car, or a prop on a boat. The horsepower is not going to change. It's the same what the engines will will generate, but you can change that gear and find that sweet spot to where it utilizes that horsepower the most efficient. Where that where that car will will use the the horsepower the most efficient and perform the best. The way the boat will will perform the best. Uh, and maximize that horsepower a bow a gun all of that is the same way you're looking for that sweet spot that perfect mix of uh energy and weight mm-hmm. you know to basically get as much of the energy out of the bow into the arrow without overloading the arrow okay mm-hmm. so what i found is that eight grains per pound is kind of that perfect sweet spot for a bow some bows are a little different, but I'm talking about minute differences now with all these modern bows. So to that end, um, let's say that, that you're shooting a, a 70 pound bow, um, and you're shooting a 28 inch draw. Okay. My philosophy there is, is that 
a 70 pound bow on a 20 inch draw is not the same bow as a 70 pound bow with a 30 inch draw. Would you not agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. Huge difference in performance. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So what I say is, is I say, okay, there's a big difference in performance. So you can't really use that same, um, eight grains per pound for, for across the board. So what I say is, is okay, well, the 28 inch draw is kind of the average, which is to me what they should judge, uh, measure performance on, on the bows is 28, not 30. Mm -hmm. Cause not everybody, very few people have 30 inch draw links. So, so at eight grains per pound, if you're drawing, you know, 70 pounds, 28 inches, I think a 560 grain arrow is perfect. I think if you go up and you're shooting a 29 inch uh, bow, you know, uh, a 570, 575 grain arrow is a little better. And then you go to 30, you know, 585, 590. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the opposite of that, as you go down, you know, a 27 inch draw, you would drop a little bit and you'd be more like a, you know, a 545. And then you drop down to, if you were a 26 inch draw, you'd be more in that 530, 35 range. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. Because it's not the same bow across the board. A 70-pound bow is not a 70-pound bow from 26-inch draw to 30-inch draw. So, anyway, that's where I try to – when I try to help guys build a perfect arrow, I'm going, okay, well, I shoot a, you know, a 65-pound bow, and I have a 28-inch draw. So, you know, my arrow is um, – uh, 520 grains. And I believe that's pretty close to being right at, um, or maybe 525. And I believe that's right at, uh, eight grains per pound. Hmm. I think you're making me do math here. So let's see, you're doing 65 at 28. Yep. In a high performance bow. I suck at math too. I graduated in algebra yeah, well, too. You're right in there. Yeah, yeah. Six times eight is forty-eight. Then half eight is forty, so that's five twenty, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, to me, I'm right in that wheelhouse to where I need to be. And so every time people call me, they're going, "Oh, I, I thought you wanted us to build a six hundred grade arrow," and I'm like, "No, that is not what I said. What I said was is is you want to make sure to have a heavy arrow, a heavy enough arrow that is making your bow the most efficient it's utilizing the, the the energy that's being generated and and that arrow is absorbing uh you know that energy the most efficiently so when you go to a lighter arrow your as your bow gets louder it's telling you that if, that you're putting tons of energy back in the limbs hmm it's it's vibrating. It's it's loud. That is energy going back into the bow, not into the arrow. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Yes, it does. And then, of course, you can go the opposite way too. You can go a little too heavy. Once you get too heavy, now you're basically crashing the limbs and the performance. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yep. Uh, and I yep. totally agree with you. I was, I was actually this is where I was going to head. So just keep going. <laughs> no, I'm done. That's it. Well. The you know, you and I, 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 we started talking because I sent you a question about this this equation I had stuck in my head, and it turns out you and I were on the same exact brain, uh, brain length uh, wave, uh, because 
um, I've been I've got this website now, and I, I don't even know how I do it. I don't even know where to start, but I've got this this desire to to, and it sounds like you do as well, to get this archery calculator out there where you have a point of diminishing returns because there's no calculators out there. They all just show your KE and your momentum. There's no, well, with this setup, this is your most efficient arrow up to this point. And I don't know how to make that happen, but I'm sure interested in, in seeing something put together like that because it's, it's you know, to me, it, it, it'd be really great to see. And I think we could up the bar um, having an app like that. Well, I do too. You know, the, the thing is, is that here, here's the problem with it. And, and it, there's so many variables. So, you know, the variables that would have to be taken into consideration to do that is going to take a lot smarter person than I, than I, <laughs> me too, but maybe somebody like you can do it. But again, um, you know, I don't, there's never a one size fits all. And this is kind of a message I always try to get to my guys when I'm talking to them. Mm-hmm. like they'll say well you know i'm setting up my wife's bow it's you know 48 pounds at 26 inches you know based on your math or say 50 pounds at 26 inches based on your math you know she should be shooting a 300 and you know if she was 28 she'd be 400 if she was 27 she'd be say 375 26 maybe you know 360 so based on your math as, as you're raising, you know, going up and down the draw length spectrum uh, with eight grains per pound at 28 being that median, um, you know, she should be shooting this. And I go, well, it's not a one size fits all. As you start diving down in weight, as you start diving down in performance with short draws, low weight, mm-hmm. you have to overcompensate for that with your weight to get your momentum formula Mm -hmm. up you can't shoot the same formula for everybody so i don't want to be misleading when i when i'm giving that formula it's basically a a 60 to 80 pound 28 to 31 32 inch draw range does that make sense it does and as you're dipping lower in draw length and weight you've got to start kind of custom kind of do a custom formulation for what somebody needs because i would tell a guy that's setting his wife's bow up at 50 pounds at 26. Mm-hmm. Hey man, she needs to shoot a 500 grain arrow. You're going to have to overcompensate for the low weight mm-hmm. and the low performance based on a super short draw with weight. You basically have to start treating that compound like a trad bow. <laughs> I say the same exact thing. You and I are so similar on that. And I see it all the time. Guys are shooting 360. My, my hunting partner, I was with, with them when they, when they killed a bull at 30 yards. And uh, I think it was like a 360 to 380 grain arrow, something, something in there. Um, 20, I think 26 inch, 50 pounds, just like he said. And I'm like, man, we need to get her at least over four. But you know, you're saying even closer to five would, would be better. And it just seems like when guys, you know, or kids start getting into the sport. They want to go light to get that, you know, to get that speed up there. And I understand trajectory is cool. It's great. But, and, and you took the words right out of my mouth. You got to start treating these, these lower poundage, smaller jaw bows like a trad bow, because that's what you're doing. I mean, you're, you're going to start shooting that 180 to 190 feet per second in there. And, you know, trad guys kill shit all the time. So, I mean, and oh, plus, yeah. plus you're not going to be, be able, you're not going to be able to dial that far out there anyways with your sight. So, you know, 40 yards is probably going to be your max with that bow from, from what I've seen being able to adjust that far out there. 
um, you know, it's going to take every pin that you got just to get out to 40 yards. So, Oh, absolutely. Well, well, here's the thing. So you brought up a point and I'll, I'll drill down on a little bit. I, I don't think that bows like that short draw, low weight, youth, ladies, whatever. I, I just don't think that the same rules apply with regards to setting up the arrows and with regards to effective range. Hmm. Um, I've, I have been fortunate to grow up uh, in a very target-rich environment uh, with lots of deer, lots of hogs, you know, four-month-long season. You used to could shoot two deer a day. Now you can shoot one a day. Well, hmm. actually, you can shoot a buck and a doe a day here until you get to your buck limit. Um, and then hogs galore. So there would be years I would shoot 40 or 50 hogs with a trad buck. Okay. Mm -hmm. So growing up, having a lot of experience shooting a lot of different animals, just because of my location out of all of that, I've, I've never ever shot anything over 30 yards with my trad buck. So, I look at a, a low poundage, low draw, low performance youth or, or, you know, whatever bow to be in that same category. And so as a result of that, when I was setting up bows for my, my kids and others, I never had more than, than one pin. Hmm. And when I trained these kids to shoot, basically it was a, um, uh, the, the pin was dead on at 15 mm -hmm. and it was a little low at 20 and a little high at 10. And they basically had basically like a, a, a you know, a line of sight, like shooting a rifle. Um, one pin that would fill that, you know, be inside the vitals inside that 20 and end range. And that's the way I set every one of these young people up. And they were so successful, so successful. And, when I see these uh, low pounded shooters, especially youth and ladies and all, mm -hmm. and they have four or five pins, just like their dad or their husband or whatever, you know, they're never going to be successful um, on a consistent basis because number one, you, you, you can't do the same thing that dad's doing. You're not going to be able to, to, to process the information that's coming in when it comes time to close a deal on an animal. So if you can, if you can teach these kids that, Hey, here's your 20 yard ring. If he's inside the wire, you put the pin on him and you let him have it. Hmm. That's how you teach animal. I mean, how you teach young people, early, early young shooters, low padded shooters. That's how you teach them to be successful, taking game. And as you're, you know, trying to make them shoot the same yardage as you are, and do the same calculations in the field, it's just failure after failure after failure. And here I am, 46 years old, and when I set up a compound, I still set it up with one pin, zero at 25. I know the ballistics of the arrow, or I know the arch of the arrow, mm -hmm. and I'm dead on at 25. I know how low to hold at 10 straight under the tree and how high to hold at 30. 35 at the most and that's my max range hmm. and i mean you know i've taken a lot of animals with both trad and compound but i've limited my range now 
I'm not a Western guy, but I have done a lot of Western hunting. Um, and it's still an effective process, but now you're basically just stretching it to that 40, 50 range, but you're doing it with limited, um, you're doing it, you're doing it with limited interference for your brain. And if you, that that's the key to being a guy that capitalizes on every opportunity to take an animal is limiting your, your, the chance that your brain is going to screw you over. Cause that's what happens nine times out of 10 is your brain gets in the way. Right. No, I totally agree right. with that. And it just, it, you know, it just, I'm, I'm just glad to hear you hammer that home because it's just, it's nice to see guys that have that, that mindset and, and you, from your experience, it just totally makes sense, man. I mean, I, I just wish I, I could carry you around in my pocket and tell everybody, cause I, I preach on this stuff, but having somebody else that, that takes it even a little bit further, it's just, it's refreshing. It really is. And, and having a guy that is a heavy arrow guy also say, Hey, there's a point of diminishing returns here. You know, <laughs> that's also really refreshing as well to hear that. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be a 600-grain arrow. Mm -hmm. um, but is there a place for a 600-grain arrow? Mm -hmm. Oh, heck, you better believe it. I mean, you take a guy that shoots, uh, you know, 75 pounds mm -hmm. and has a 28, 29, 30-inch draw. Man, I wish I could shoot 75 <laughs> pounds and had a 29 or 30-inch draw. Yep. Because I'd be shooting a 600-grain arrow. I'd have a super efficient killing machine. Yep. My buddy, we did a video the other day. It was just an Instagram video. Um, I forget how fast he was shooting. I want to say it was like two upper two seventies or lower two eighties. It was a 620 or 610 grain arrow. Yeah. And it was just like, Oh my gosh, you could kill anything on, on the earth with that thing. Oh, I mean, that's a yeah. laser beam. That's, Jeez. that's, that's shooting a cannon. Yeah. A yeah. cannonball. So, I mean, and here's the thing, this is what, when you talk about diminishing return, there also is a point of diminishing return with regards to shed velocity. Hmm. So people say, man, I don't want to shoot that heavy of an arrow. I'm going to lose trajectory. Okay. Well, that is, that is true to a point, you know, let's say you have a bow shooting 280 and then you go to a heavier arrow and you shoot 265. You're going to have a bigger drop with that 265 arrow from zero to 30 mm -hmm. than you are with the 280 bow hmm. from, 30 to 40 there's going to be very little difference and then from 40 to 60 you're going to start seeing that the 265 bow with the heavier arrow has retained its velocity the lighter arrow that initially was traveling faster has shed velocity and you're going to have an overall smaller pin gap zero to 60 70 than you will with the faster initial bow and the lighter arrow hmm. and that is the hardest thing i've seen people get their head around but Cody saw it this year because Cody has got that super long draw. He was shooting a six, 610 grade arrow hmm. and he's super efficient bow at that long draw length. It's using a lot of great energy. Um, and he was shooting flatter than the other guys with, you know, arrows that were 50, 60 grains lighter. That's incredible. Yeah. It's the difference between throwing a ping pong ball and a golf ball. Hmm. They're gonna they're gonna be the same speed when they leave your hand. Ping pong ball is gonna go twenty feet at the ground. The golf ball is going forever because it's retaining velocity based on its mass. So that's something you really ought to drill down on as far as 
uh, some of the testing that you do, because I've seen mm-hmm. some of the stuff you do mm-hmm. and it's great. You go into great detail, but you make it easy for people to understand. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a great test to show people. Yeah, I just listening to you. How how would I test that? Because if I feel like if I if I took two arrows and I and I dial uh, out to sixty, um, how big? I mean, I'll have to talk. I'll have to pick your brain on on how to do that one because that's a really interesting video. I'd really love to get out there because um, that 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 fascinates. I haven't even tested on that stuff, and I've always heard it. Um, but, and so that'd be definitely an area for, for me to hit. So after the podcast, I'll probably be picking your brain on how to test that out uh, That sounds good. Yep, uh, on camera. Uh, I do want to get into another thing here and <laughs> I, I'm probably going to get hammered for saying this cause I've contributed to this problem, uh, quite, quite a bit, but I, I feel like we've made, I know how to put this. I feel like we've made the FOC, the six, five creed more of, Oh, of, I, knew, I knew you were going to say that three letter uh, word of the, uh, yeah. You know, of the, of the hunting industry, man. And, and I, I feel bad cause I get guys messaging me and I was like, am I being ethical? I'm like, is this what I've done? <laughs> is this me? Yeah. And you know, there's me gritty and, and Aaron and a few other guys all right about the same time. And I don't think it was planned or anything, obviously, but we all came out with episodes on FOC easily within a month of each other, I think, or, or, or arrow building. And we're all talking about FOC and it kind of just, I don't know. It kind of just got people overthinking it. Um, so it, I want to, I've got tests that I've, that I've done, um, not on camera and Uh I've had, I've had tests where I've had a 5%. I built these arrows incredibly re- like retarded like i built a five percent foc arrow a 14 yep. percent foc arrow and then like a 25 percent foc arrow and was just kind of seeing how they flew yep. um what is your and i haven't tested this and this is a two-part question so oh, um boy. i haven't tested this yet but foc doesn't always come with momentum as you know a lot of guys like to tie those two things together i built all of these arrows at the same weights yeah, and I had the only variable was FOC. Yes, and that's the only way you can do it. And yes, do it and be objective, correct? Y- yes, and so I never got the compound to shoot it in for penetration, but the arrow flight differences were really weird uh, when you got out to like 70, 80 yards. Uh-huh. Um, so my question here's my question: Is FOC um, having three? arrows that weigh the identical having a 5% FOC to a 24% FOC what would be the difference at shooting those um, for penetration tests zero okay the second part of that question is okay and because I had a feeling you're going to say that second part of the question um, is I've heard of a podcast and I forget what episode it was but this guy had this product out where he placed some of the weight about two or three inches behind the insert internally in the arrow and yeah. and was getting increased penetration because he said that weight was farther behind the insert. And I'm like, well, how do you know it wasn't the momentum? So he said it was because it was the way the arrow was flexing and transferring the energy, which kind of makes sense to me, but good luck proving it unless you have those two arrows together. What is your perspective on that? Well, I can wrap all this crap up pretty easy. Okay. Um, I don't really give a shit what your FOC is. Okay. <laughs> um, when, when that arrow impacts, the, the single most important thing, okay, whether it's my arrow or any arrow, whether it's an iron wheel, 
a Valkyrie or a Thunderhead or a Muzzy. It doesn't matter. Throw all that crap out the window. What is most important is what setup that bow shoots the best and what setup makes that arrow fly the best and the most true. Mm-hmm. The 99% factor for penetration is arrow flight. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it's not any of that other crap. It's arrow flight. If that arrow is not flying as perfect as it can be with the knot directly behind the head, mm-hmm. it's not going to penetrate the best. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the worse it flies, the worse it penetrates. So bows are just like rifles. Every bow likes different food. You can take three identical bows, identical draws, identical weights, and they're all three going to shoot a different arrow set up slightly. Just like you can buy three Remington 700s, mm-hmm. 270, identical matching serial numbers, and they're going to shoot three different loads. Period. That's just the way it is. So you can take the different FOCs and figure out which one shoots the best out of your bow and makes the arrow fly the best. Mm-hmm. And that is what's going to contribute to penetration. It's not going to be a one-size-fits-all across the board. That's what I keep trying to tell guys. I'm not telling you not to shoot a bunch of weight up front. I'm just telling you that it's not a one-size-fits-all. But here's my experience with FOC. If you get your arrow flying perfect and high FOC is what gets you there, you will zip through everything you shoot except for me in my experience, not just with whitetails, elk, moose, caribou, Africa, Australia, wherever you want to call it, open terrain, dense terrain. My experience with FOC, the only negative, only negative, was that if I ever experienced anything between me and the target, whether that be wind, a crosswind, an updraft, you know, coming up a mountain, Mm -hmm. if I deflected or hit a limb, something like that, that's where I saw failure. And the high FOC advocates will say, yes, but that's where we shine because with a high FOC arrow, even if you get hit with a crosswind, the point's still going to hit on target. But They are 100% correct. The point is still going to hit on target. Yeah, but, but the, the tail won't knock, be following it, right? That's right. If that damn knock is three inches to the left or the right, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where it hits, it's not going in. Makes sense. So if you have perfect conditions and you don't have any variables, you've got a high FOC arrow that flies like a dart, it's going to zip through anything you see. But you could take a same the same arrow that's 15% FOC mm-hmm. and tune it perfectly, And if it's flying like a dart, it's going to zip right through too. Where the more balanced arrow, to me, this is just my opinion, has an advantage is when you introduce the variables of crosswinds or deflection, okay? Mm -hmm. So here's what I would say when you back, what did you say your first one was? 4% or 5% FOC? 5%, yeah. Okay, so here's here's why you don't, I wouldn't think you want to do that. Mm-hmm. because those arrows are pretty difficult to tune. You need a little <laughs> point way to tune them, okay? Mm-hmm. So 
the more balanced the arrow is, the harder it is to tune. The more balanced the arrow is, the more it's going to show straightness, uh, spine variance, um, hmm. poor release, uh, uh, fletching contact, yada, yada, yada. All that's going to amplify. Okay. Mm-hmm. As you go to the high FOC, the high FOC hides all of those flaws. Okay. Hides them in it because it recovers so much faster because the ass end of the arrow is so light, the front so heavy, mm-hmm. it recovers so much quicker. Makes if sense. there were if there were no downsides to that with regards to crosswinds and things like that, I would tell everybody shoot high FOC, one hundred percent. Then you got some trajectory issues, mm-hmm. but I just think that the moderately weighted FOC arrow is kind of that again most efficient setup like a eight grain per pound arrow is a most efficient setup for a bow. Does that make sense? It does. And I, I shoot around a 14% FOC right now. And I, I, you know, I was blowing through shit at 70 yards with a 9% FOC and it was like, man, you know, what's the difference here? And my groups tightened up when I went to a 14% at longer ranges. Um, but I just, that's another one of these areas that guys have been pushing it way too far. And then now their ass ends getting blown around when they're getting, like you said, these crosswinds and their knocks not following their broadhead. And it's like, man, you know, like too much of anything is not good. (laughs) You know, I'm like, I just, well, here's the thing. This is, this is when I understood that Aeroflight was paramount for penetration. And I got very lucky to have a brain that only functioned as a, at a high level when it was dealing with something with hunting, Hmm. anything else, my brain does not function, but when it comes (laughs) to hunting, it works overtime. It's constantly, you know, solving equations. Mine, mine's similar. Yeah. Yeah. So I wish I could put this stuff to good use, but anyway, um, (laughs) so when I was, setting up to go on my second elk hunt after I understood what I needed for after my first one. And I was setting up a little, or I'm sorry, my third elk hunt, my second one. Anyway, when I was setting up for an early elk hunt, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was, I realized that I was going to have to, to change my ways from being one pin Brian to multiple pin Brian to elk hunt. I was going (laughs) to have to have a 50 yard pin. Mm -hmm. Um, and not for the initial shot, but for follow-up. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so I wanted to have a 50 or 60 yard pin if I could do it. But back then our sights were so crappy. They had these big guards on them that you thought you had to have. And you're, you couldn't go too low with your, with your pins because you didn't up hitting your broadhead. Cause back then we shot an inch and a half wide broadheads. How about mm. that? <laughs> so anyway, um, so, what I realized was, is I was, when I was going to school, well, I was in college and we had an archery range at the school in this huge pecan orchard and I would, and they had hay bales, you know, the big round bales to shoot. And so when I dropped back and started shooting my 40 and 50, I was losing my arrows in the hay bale and I was having to get, you know, like uh, a machete out and like carve through the hay bales and dig my arrows out. Hmm. But at 20 and 30 yards, they were still sticking out where I could pull them out. I'm going, this doesn't make sense because it's going so much (laughs) slower out there. Mm -hmm. Then I realized that 
the farther away is that arrow is from the bow, as long as it's not being disturbed with a variable, that it is spinning tighter. It's getting tighter and tighter and tighter, and it's flying more true, and the knock is as tight behind that head as it can get. Mm -hmm. And while it may be going, say, 15 20% slower at those long ranges, it's flying perfect, and it blows through everything. And at a very early age, I realized that arrow flight is everything. And so then you go back and you start obsessing, okay, how do I get that same penetration at 20 now on that same bale? And that's, that's when you go through the obsessive mm. paper tuning, <laughs> walk-back tuning, planing, you know, all mm -hmm. of that different stuff. And that started, you know, 25, 30 years ago for me. What's that's... crazy is, is that 90% of our bow hunting community still, that, that, that light bulb has not gone off. There's only 10% of the mm. archery community that understands that. That makes sense. Well, I, I want to know from your perspective what, I, and I I failed to understand this, and I've I've looked into it. Why why is KE touted way more than momentum out there? What where did that even come from? From guns. It came from guns. Yeah. Knockdown power and all that stuff. That's it. Hmm. Yeah. So let me tell you something. I grew up in Greenbow, Alabama, buddy. I grew, we grew up in the sticks. Okay. <laughs> And half the guys that used to come in the store thought KE meant knockout energy or knockdown <laughs> energy. Oh, really? They didn't, huh? they didn't think it meant kinetic energy. They thought it was knockdown energy. Okay. <laughs> and they'd flip that box of shells over and go, man, this one's got, you know, 1,200 knockdown energy, you know? That's crazy. So, I never heard that. <laughs> well, you're from, were you in Oregon or yeah. Washington? Oregon, Oregon? Yeah. Well, yeah, you guys aren't too far behind us out there. I mean, <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we're definitely we're definitely cousins on opposite corners, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's that's what everybody thought it came from, and of course, you know, that just flowed right into the archery archery industry, and it's always been kinetic energy, and it has no place in archery. It's a formula if you don't know how to calculate other things. Mm -hmm. It's a formula to give you an idea, you know, what you're generating, but momentum is what you're looking for. We don't have shock power. We don't have impact power. Mm -hmm. If we did, we'd be shooting blunts. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I've got a question for you. Do you know what your momentum is on your setup? Um, I have no idea. Okay. Yeah, because I've, I've, I've dug into all this stuff. I don't know what my FOC stuff. is either. Oh, really? Well, <laughs> I, I was talking to somebody about FOC the other day, and it was somebody that was like, yeah. man, am I ethical? I'm like, do you think Cameron Haynes worries about FOC? You know, because he's shooting FMJs. I'm like, if you shoot FMJs, you're probably not worried about FM, you know, FOC. If you're shooting a day six arrow, you're probably not worried about FOC because if you were, you wouldn't be buying them because your GPI is too high to really get an effective unless you wanted to shoot like a 700 grain arrow. I mean, the G, what's your guys' GPI on those things? It's got to be over 11, 10. Yeah, well, the, like a 300 is 11, 11, 2. Yeah. See, I mean, that, you know, for guys that, that to me, it just seems like, okay, they're after momentum. They're after good arrow flight. They're not really, they only don't care about FOC and just, no. you know, and, and I'm just trying to hammer. I'm, it sounds like I'm turning a 180 on, 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 on stuff because I've, I've shot, you know, never shot over 15%, but a lot of these guys are getting, you know, 20, 25%, 
EFOCs or FOCs now. And it's like, no, no. Now I'm like trying to be an advocate of like moderation, moderation. (laughs) Well, let me, let me, let me say this. I I don't want, you've heard me say, I think a few times here that one size doesn't fits all right. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many trad guys you have that listen, but with regards to a trad guy, Mm -hmm. I'm more in the higher FOC camp. Okay. So, and the reason is, is um, for most, it's very difficult. Like most guys don't have Tom Club three blocks from them to teach right. them how to shoot a trad boat. So you have to just learn, you know, on the fly. You don't know what that you're shooting maybe with improper form or poor release or you're torquing your string. Mm-hmm. Then you go through the whole process of tuning a trad bow. That's an act of Congress. Yeah. I've seen you know? my buddy do that. Yep. Look, I'm a, I've been a trad guy for 20 something years. I mean, it's, it's hard and there's so much voodoo in them damn things. <laughs> you can't, you, you can't once, you know, one rule doesn't apply to all of them. So anyway, where a higher FOC is beneficial in the trad world is number one, you've got all these flaws that you're trying to mask. Okay. You're shooting off a wooden shelf. You have a poor release. You may be underspined, overspined. Uh, the brace height may, the string may have stretched. The brace height may be too short. I mean, there's all of these different variables. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you may short draw, you may long draw. I mean, there's just, there's too many to count with a trad boat. Um, so a higher FOC bow arrow will recover faster. Okay. It's going to hide and mask and compensate for all these flaws. Even if it's a improperly spined arrow, it will correct itself a little bit faster. The second thing is, is that a trad guy is not shooting over 30 yards. You know, mm-hmm. there's a handful out there that do, but 99% really don't shoot much over 20 or 25. So now you're back into, okay, these outside variables, debris, limbs, whatever, crosswinds, you're limiting that exposure because you're limiting your, your, your range. Does that make sense? Yep. So you take myself, for example, or like, well, I don't want to compare myself to Aaron, but Snyder, Aaron's one of the best trad shots I've ever seen. <laughs> really? And he's only been doing it two years. It totally pisses me off. <laughs> so, um, but he shoots three or 400 arrows a day. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's, he, he considers that part of his job and he shoots every day. No, normal humans can't do that. So, but you take a guy like, like him that, that has the knowledge and the time to obsessively set up his, his trad bow and tune it perfectly. Well, he doesn't really have to mask or hide poor form, poor release, improperly spined arrow. Because mm-hmm. he can go through that process and perfect it over time. I've done it long enough that it doesn't take me that long anymore to tune a tread boat. Mm-hmm. And so I have a little bit of advantage over most, and so does Aaron. So we can shoot a heavier arrow with lower FOC and get it to fly correctly. But the lion's share of your trad guys don't have either the time or the experience to go through that process. So the high FOC may be right for them. So I'm not a one size fits all high FOC sucks. Mm -hmm. It's just 
not the end all be all that it's portrayed to be by the FOC camp. Does that make sense? It does. And, and to expand on that, in my opinion, it's whatever you really, you're confident in and, and works. I mean, obviously if you have confidence in like, I have a 14% FOC and for me, that's perfect. And I hunt everything. I mean, I've passed through the wildebeest this year. I passed through the bowl. Like it was butter. I mean, yep. pa- you know, it just, and that works for me. And, and I, I, after listening to, to your efficiency, uh, thing there, I might bump up my weight. You know, I'm about a hundred grains short, uh, of where you would like to have my setup be. Um, yep. and so there's, there's, you know, there's room for me to improve there. And, and, um, you know, but 400, I, I shoot 457 grains, 28 inches at 282. And I yep. always try and keep my arrow between 280 and 290 just for tuning. I like, I like that. The, another big reason is for trajectory. I've, I've shot that for so many years. If I have to hold over or compensate, I know exactly, exactly where to put that pin. If I don't have time to dial, you know, or something funky happens and, I, I know exactly where that arrow is going to be. I don't have to, I can shoot my three pin all the way out to 65 yards without any worries, without adjusting. I mean, no That's problem. That's exactly what I was saying earlier Yep. is I've always shot 265 out of a compound. Okay. I've always shot a heavier arrow, mm-hmm. but I've always been in that 265 range and that's where I like to be. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the most efficient middle ground for me. Mm-hmm. I understand that arrow trajectory. Mm-hmm. And so I know what the holdovers are. I'm never adjusting a sight. It just, mm-hmm. it doesn't happen. I mean, I know where my 35 ring is around me. And mm-hmm. if I can't judge 25 and in, I need to take up golf. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you can't judge 25 yards, if you can't judge for the animals inside of 25 yards or past it, mm-hmm. I mean, you need to practice judging, judging yardage. But that- understanding that arrow flight, knowing that at 35, I'm, you know, six or seven low and it, you know, 10, I'm four high. Mm -hmm. It's, it's super easy. So you take your brain out of the equation, understanding your arrow flight. Now you're not, let me tell you this. I've seen so many animals get away while guys are dicking with their range finder. Hmm. That range finder has been the best and worst thing that's ever happened to bow hunters because people become so dependent on them instead of learning how to judge yardage. They're constantly trying to get that one last range, and they're mm-hmm. blowing their deal. That's me. <laughs> that's that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, I well, always I'm tell people my, my mental range finder is broken. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the thing is, is I mean, if you learn to judge yardage mm-hmm. 40 and in, and mm-hmm. you're very proficient at it, nothing gets away from you. To me, a range finder is for 40 and beyond. There's no mm-hmm. reason to even use it any closer. Yeah. So, Go ahead, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's yet. it. No, that was it. I was gonna say that it's kind of funny. One of the only bow shoots I've ever won. It was actually unmarked. <laughs> well, like, there you go. And I had Anthony who who I think he was yeah he, Anthony who was who was carrying around a trad bow that day. Um, he was just like every time I shot, he'd be like, "You need to do this. Like you're you're adding five yards to each target." He's like, and so. I would just like tell myself 30 yards and I'd go with 30 yards, even though I felt like it was 35 and it worked really well. Like his, his, his range finder, mental range finder was like five was, was dead on being a trad guy. <laughs> well, it's also like, for me, it's not as much a trad guy as an old guy. So, <laughs> you know, my, my, my first 15 years of, of, uh, of bow hunting, they weren't even around. 
Oh, so, really? <laughs> yeah, my, and, you know, my first year, I'll just tell you, my first year elk hunting out west, I missed three bulls in seven days. Um, mm. And I shot under every one of them because, you know, I'm coming from the south, super dense forest, small animals. Mm-hmm. I'm out in the in the open, you know, meadows and the open, you know, the open uh, timber in New Mexico. And there's a, you know, six, 700 pound bull standing out there, at, you know, 50. And I'm going, no, oh, well, he's 30. I was misjudging by 20 yards. Holy you know? Smoke. Yeah, I do that same oh, it thing. Was, it was pitiful. I mean, yep. I just, they looked like they were in my lap because of the size of the animal, the open brain. <laughs> so, you know, that next year, um, you know, I, listen, I'm sure I'll get all kinds of hate over this, but, you know, I was chasing around, um, uh, cattle like moo cows in my uncle's pasture, <laughs> you know, at 40 and 50 yards, shooting them with blunts in the butt, <laughs> trying to make sure I learned how to judge yardage in open pasture on the same size animal. Mm-hmm. I was obsessive. I wasn't going to screw up again. We mm-hmm. didn't have a rangefinder to go by. You had to figure it out. You know, until f- I got in trouble. <laughs> That's funny you say that. My first year hunting, I think I missed six or seven blacktail. And, uh, didn't have a rangefinder at that time. And my, my horizontal was always great. They were always right behind the shoulder, but I was always way low or way high. And I was like, yep. man, I just suck. And so the first animal I killed, I think I went out, I was like halfway through the season and I had so many opportunities. I was like, okay, I'm going to get a rangefinder. Got one next animal. I, I uh, shot at, I ranged and I killed and It was like, you know, it's just, and so since then, I've just relied on my rangefinder so heavily. I didn't range the bull this year because he was only at 17. Uh, but I'm like you, man. Like I, I'd go to a bow shoot, have like a target at like 30, 35 yards. That would be like on the other side of this creek. That's like other side of the hill. And those are the ones that I'd mess up on. Like I'd shoot that for 50. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, oh, oh, I was winning until that target. <laughs> yeah, well, ju- judging yardage is, is such a critical part of being a, a, a very efficient bow hunter that capitalizes on opportunities. Mm-hmm. And that's what I try to do. I try to take all the variables um, out of the equation. I don't like moving parts. I, you, you, hey, you may freak you out if it's to lose all credibility with you. You ready? <laughs> sure. I still shoot a whisker biscuit on my bow. I've got one on my bow. <laughs> no, you do not. I swear to God, my budget bow. I got one on oh, there. Your budget bow. Well, this yeah. is my this is my primo bow. <laughs> uh, well, I don't like moving parts. I don't want any variables. I don't want a stick getting stuck under that thing. Mm-hmm. I don't want a spring. I don't want a hinge. I don't want a string. Yep. I don't want anything. I want it. Keep it simple, stupid, bulletproof. <laughs> um, that's why I'm a one pin guy, unless I'm Western hunting. Uh-huh. And then I have a, an adjustable sight. But if I have an adjustable sight, it's basically, if I go, like when I went uh, antelope hunting this year, I had it basically um, the same exact setup to where I had it topped out at 25. <laughs> like if I re- rolled it all the way to the top, that was 25. I didn't go any lower than that. That's where I started. Huh. And then if I knew if it was closer, which I knew it wouldn't be, I could just hold low. But, you know, most of the time I literally just kept that thing on 40. And let me tell you, if there was an antelope at 45, I wouldn't have adjusted the sight. Mm-hmm. I know the trajectory of my arrow and I would have just held over. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's just the way I am. I like it to be no thinking, no anything, second nature, 
you know what I call it. I call it the wire. When I'm, if I'm tree stand hunting, I know my wire. I've established that wire. This is 30. This is 30. This is 30. Once they're in the wire, there's no thinking. There's no adjusting. There's no anything. They just, they just die. <laughs> so I like that. And, uh, to me, that's just a, I don't know, a way to keep you keep eliminate variables because variables are the, you know, they are the function of failure. That's, that's something that I preach on in, in, in a little bit different verbiage, but it's like, man, let's get rid of all those errors in the off season. So we don't have them, you know, during the, uh, during season when it actually counts, when it actually matters, like let's figure out where we're going wrong here and, and to shoot. That's just part of shooting every day, knowing your stuff, getting more experience and just, I mean, I I've, I've had stuff where what, what made me get into bows so heavily was it was a moving D loop. And I didn't know, I didn't know that was a thing. And my serving basically, you know, well, you know how it is. If you crimp, oh, yeah. crimp a D loop on too hard, it just pushes right through the servings. And then, yep. Yeah, well, slide on you. yeah, well, I, I was about one out of every 15 shots. I'd get a, you know, two foot high arrow. And then, so I went hunting with it, you know, won't happen probably on an elk. Well, I sailed to one of the prettiest bulls I've ever seen in my life. It was only about a 280 inch bull, um, but it was a five point. So it was a stud and, uh, sent it right over his back at 60 yards. And I don't think I've ever held so steady on an animal. It was like, I about, I about just, I was so pissed and that's, I'm like, went back to camp and then I, I moved my D loop. I'm like, that's what it was. Are you kidding me? Like I didn't, I didn't even know how to tie a D loop at that time. And so that's what made me get in this tear of like, never again, you know, like eliminate variables. Yep. Not going to happen. And so yeah. I, I totally understand that. And I know guys that carry whisker biscuits in their pack when they go in the back country. I mean, I carry extras of everything and whisker biscuits are old faithful. And I don't know where this thought came from that you can't shoot whisker biscuits accurately at longer ranges. I, I don't know if you've heard that, but I, well, just... I don't shoot, I don't shoot long ranges with a compound. So it, it's a, mm. it's a moot point for me. Mm. See, I've shot know, on, I, can, I've... I can group, I can group out to 60 in a paper plate. That's, mm-hmm. you know, and I hate even using the word paper plate, but anyway, I mean, it's 60. <laughs> that's a reference for what my group is like. Uh-huh. And, um, and I don't shoot past that. And I'm telling you this, I don't like a 60 yard initial shot. I have that there. Mm-hmm. because I'm a firm believer in big game, especially elk and moose and bigger, larger animals. Mm-hmm. If they are in an effective range, you need to be putting a second, third arrow in them. I, I, uh, Same here. I remember shooting a moose in Canada with my recurve, and I shot, uh, I shot him at 15, 30, and 45. Uh, the 45 was not a good shot. I hit him in his private parts, but but I put three arrows in that moose from the time I shot him initially till he got to the tree line where I couldn't shoot anymore. Hmm. And he made it 10 yards from the tree line, but he had three arrows in him. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a firm believer in that. I mean, there's, there's, if it is, especially if you're unsure of your initial shot, mm-hmm. you know, that is, I, I just, I'm a firm believer in getting arrows in them. And, and some people are not, they think that it's, it's, you're going to push them and move them even further. But if you've watched enough animals go down, mm-hmm. you can pretty much tell them from the initial reaction, if it's a fatal, fatal shot, because usually they're not going to go very far at all. Very right. rarely even out of sight. So anyway, that is what that follow-up long shot is for. And that's the only thing I really use it for. But again, 
there's guys like, say, Aaron Snyder, for instance. I've, and the only reason I use him is I've only seen him and, like, Levi Morgan up close and personal and, like, watched them shoot. Mm-hmm. And, that I mean, that's like – you don't even believe it's real. Hmm. You know, when you're watching guys like those two shoot at, like, 110, 120 yards, and, I mean, they're, they're – it's, 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 it's incredible. And those guys have the ability to have a, to me, a very effective initial first sixty-yard shot, mm-hmm. uh, as long as it's a relaxed, larger animal in my mind. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that is also um, where you grow up too. A guy's over here, sixty yards. I mean, God, I think everybody's killed something at sixty yards here. <laughs> well, let, let me say that where you were out west, mm-hmm. everybody has a sixty-yard pin. Yeah. But not everybody should have a sixty-yard pin. I've watched them shoot. Oh, I, I, I totally agree with that. <laughs> I've, been, I've been to archery ranges with Aaron in Colorado and Denver, uh-huh. and we were there like back in August, and these guys pulled up, and I mean, they had the finest bows you've ever seen, and they literally were bouncing arrows to the thirty. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and and they're and they're making adjustments on their sight, and I'm going, guys, if you're bouncing it ten feet in front of the target mm-hmm. you're not going to adjust that out with your sight right but you know of course you go over and look and they've got you know a, a sight tape out to 80 yards on there i'm going well, yep really yep i see that <sighs> i go when i go to the range i see that quite often i'm out and i don't i don't offer help until they ask for it and yeah. uh um you know and usually it's just something still you know a silly adjustment with their rest or something or their cams are out of sync or, or something. But it just, I mean, I took a shot this year. I haven't talked about this too much. I took a shot this year on an animal that, uh, I shouldn't have straight up. I shouldn't have, um, even if I would have killed it, I, I shouldn't have. And, uh, I was just thinking, I'm like, after that, I'm like, man, you know, I was just thinking some of the best shots taken were probably never made or some of the, probably some of the best shots made were never taken. And I'm like, that's what I'm going to tell myself because I, I shot the animal. He jumped the string. It was 72 yards. And uh, the guide said, go for it. He's just going to stand there and watch you smack him. And I hit him right where the tail comes out. And Because uh, he like, moved. He, he jumped. When my arrow was about yeah. 20 yards, he just took off. And uh, I caught. I just barely caught him. And uh, I'm like, man, you know, even if that was, even if the animal stood there and, and did take that arrow, it was too windy to be shooting. And I'm yep. like, I, I just shouldn't have took that shot. I mean, just because I had permission to do it, my guide told me, yeah, you know, he'll just, this animal, you know, they don't jump the string. All right, cool. Let's smoke it. And yep. it was, it was pretty windy. And I just kind of come back around to that. You know, I had like a 16 hour plane ride home, a $1,500 bill with nothing to show for it. And it was like, yeah, yeah. You know, some of the best shots made were probably never taken and you know, they were just let down and you know, that was the best decision. And, uh, I just, Kind of going off of what you said, just because you have an eighty-yard pin doesn't mean you should always use it. And uh, you know, I've shot shot a handful of animals at seventy to seventy-five. Never lost yep. one. Um, that was yep. the first. That was the first animal I'd ever. Uh, and he's he's probably running around, you know, not even worried about me now. I I guarantee, unless he died of some weird cause, it wasn't from that arrow. Um, yeah. Well, the thing is, is that that you know, once you get over a certain range. Mm-hmm. You have to rely on luck. You can make the perfect shot, but you've got to rely on luck that that animal does not move, twist, turn, drop. Mm-hmm. And 
it's it's not a chance that I'm willing to take. Okay, mm-hmm. and I have taken, I guess, probably three shots too far. Um, well, well, I'd say four shots too far. I took one too far this year, but Thank I've you. taken four shots too far, and I've lost one of them. And um, you know, I just. It's just, it's, there's too great a variable. Always come back to variables. There's too many things that can happen between the time you release and the time that arrow gets to its target. If it's a live animal, the target can move. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think it's fair. And so, you know, there's always going to be another, there's always going to be another chance and there's going to be an opportunity to get closer. And so I used to argue with Aaron about this all the time. And, <laughs> And it was, I mean, cause he's one of the most amazing shots I've ever seen with a compound and, and now with a, with a trad bow, but, mm-hmm. um, we used to argue this all the time. And now that he's hunting with the trad bow, he says publicly, look, I took a lot of far shots. I probably shouldn't have, but I use my shooting as a crutch. Mm-hmm. Now having to hunt with a trad bow and having to get in danger close I realized that I could have got closer on 90% of those animals. I didn't have to shoot that far. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then he got a very good look at my training ground versus his training ground. Um, we were, we were sitting in a tree stand his first year he ever came to Alabama and there was a buck that came out and the buck was, I can't remember if he was 55 or 60, but the buck was in a field feeding you know Mm -hmm. and he said you know can i i'm gonna shoot at this deer and i said go ahead it won't matter he goes what do you mean (laughs) it won't matter and i said he won't be there when the arrow gets there and aaron tells the story all the time he shot at that deer this deer was feeding in a greenfield the deer literally dropped (laughs) turned blew and was to the tree line when his arrow got there six seven (laughs) feet away and he looked at me and Uh he said I get it. <laughs> so, I get it. <laughs> yeah. That's what we grew up hunting. I mean, they're like the matrix. That's you know? funny. I've got a video actually listening to you talk about that. Maybe I'll upload and I'll tag it. I'll tag you in it. Uh, <laughs> it's my favorite video of me hunting with my dad. He, he swings and misses on this black tail and it's got him square pegged. I mean, it's probably only 40, 50 yards and it's got him pegged and it's just a young buck. And, and, uh, <laughs> We rattled him in, and so I think the buck's actually looking for me, but I think he might have had my dad pegged. Anyways, my dad shoots, and that buck, as soon as he hears that bow goes off, he churns and runs, and uh, <laughs> it's in slow. I got it in slow-mo, so you can see how far that arrow is above that deer. He would have missed even if the deer would have stood there um, yeah, about a foot over his back, but that deer was already about four or five steps facing the other direction. Yep. Gone by, <laughs> by the time that arrow got there and it was like not even close <laughs> yeah and I'll, I'll tell you you know you, you compare a black tail to a southern white tail mm-hmm. and they're like slow motion oh really oh my gosh yeah the first <laughs> time the first time uh 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 brian call came down there he and aaron came down and hunted one week and and um so you you met wes that works with born and raised oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah so wes came down and he was going to film uh for brian and Aaron. So he came down to film and I can't remember how many deer those guys shot that week, <laughs> but I want to say I may be wrong on this, but I think only one was not a spine. Really? Yeah. And I kept telling them guys, you have to, you know, if you're going to shoot them at 30, which 30 just seems very close to you, right? Yeah. 
I'd say if you're going to shoot them at 30, you need to aim off the deer. Put your 30 like an inch or two below their heart, below their chest. Really? They're like, aim off the deer. I'm like, yeah, aim completely off the deer. And they couldn't bring themselves to do it. And it was just, you know, (laughs) spine, 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 spine. And they were like, I just can't believe this stuff. I mean, just, they're amazing. They're absolutely amazing. So it's almost like, it's almost like shooting a, a, a shotgun. You almost have to lead them to where they're going. You know, hmm. well, so, how often, how often do you aim below the deer? Then you shoot under it. I mean, is, never. is it really, that's never. interesting. Yeah. Never. That's, no, that's you're definitely you're not, not a black gonna, tail. Then you're not going to aim off of a deer at 15 yards. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. You're not doing that. I'm just, as the range increases, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're basically lowering what you're, you know, if you're sighted in at 30 and that deer's at 30, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're right there on their brisket. Maybe I should um, uh, take that advice because I'm, I'm going to Texas for the first time for whitetail, and I wonder if those are. Yeah, they're uh, pretty jukey too. Not like ours, but they uh, they got some moves. Maybe aim for the heart then instead of. Always heart shots. Interesting. Always heart shots. Yeah, for sure. The only time that I ever, the only time I ever aim for like say mid body lump mm-hmm. on an animal, is when number one it's a larger animal, mm-hmm. and number two if I'm unsure of the range. If I'm unsure of the range, but I know it's not closer than this, does that make sense? So let's say that let's say that I look say I look at an elk and I and I'm he's standing out there broadside. I don't have time to range him, mm-hmm. but I know he's at least forty, at least, and I know he's not closer than that. Okay, mm-hmm. so at that point, I've got my forty high lung. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if he's past that you're always going to be dropping into that heart zone and into those vital zones. You know, if, if, if let's say that I wasn't sure for sure that he wasn't closer than 40, well, then you have to heart shot him at 40 because mm-hmm. if he could possibly be closer, then you're going to be high. So if you aimed a mid body high and you're, you're unsure how close he is, you're going to hit high in that no man's land between the spine and the, yeah. and the lungs. And you're not going to, you know, you're not going to have a, a mortal wound. So it's always better to, gosh, let me, let me see if I get this right. It's always better to underjudge. So it's always better to say, okay, I'm, I'm 90% sure he's 40, but he may be 35. I'm putting my 35 high long. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you're telling me this. Cause I, you know, I was just going to plan on shooting him. Oregon style, right where you want to hit. <laughs> so, well, you can't do that if you don't know exactly what the yardage is. That's true. That's yep. true. Yep. And if you put that damn rangefinder down, you would alert <laughs> them, and then they wouldn't jump your string. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's there's something to be said about that. I, I I've been using that as a crutch, and, and I'm not going to compare myself to Aaron as far as an archer goes, but I, I definitely use my marksmanship as a crutch as well. Um, him, yeah. him, he's probably to a you know a more extreme extent, but. Um, you know, there's there's a lot to be said about that. I mean, all right. So let's say this. Let's say that that you have the, you you guys are Western guys. Y'all take longer shots, okay? Uh huh. All right. So let's say that that you come in. You're ranging a bull, ranging a bull. He comes in. He's he turns and he starts paralleling you at forty, okay? Mm-hmm. And you've hit him at forty, and you know he's paralleling you at forty. So he's going to be within 41, 40 to forty two yards because he's paralleling you. Mm-hmm. So you take your range finder. You put it down, you get on, you get on your string, on your release, whatever you're doing, and you go ahead and draw. All right. Mm-hmm. So you draw 
and that bull sees you, trots at an angle away. He trots away and stops at a perfect, um, perfect opening, but he's trotted. You don't know whether he's trotted 10, 15, or 20 yards. What are you going to do? Are you going to let down and grab your rangefinder again? Uh, I'd shoot it. I'd shoot. Yeah, uh, but, but that's what you've got to be able to do. But you've got to be able to say, okay, well, I know for a fact he was 40. Yep. I don't think he's traveled more than 10. So I know for a fact that he's somewhere between 40 and 50. Yep. I'm going to put 40 high long because yeah. I know I'm above vitals and it's going to drop in there or I'm going to miss him low and not lose him. That's exactly – that's probably exactly what I would do um, It's just aim a little high with my 40 and – or, or aim for the heart with my 50. That's uh, right. So, something That's like right. that. That's probably what I'd do. Yeah. But it's always better to it's always better to calculate for the drop. Hmm. You don't ever want to undercalculate and hold what you think is a long range low. That's a recipe for failure. If you just do one calculation mm -hmm. and always, you know, figure your math high down. You're going to be. You're now. You're not. You're not thinking of two equations. Is he should I hold high? Should I hold low? Is he this? Is he that? Always hold drop low. And now you've eliminated one other whole factor of your brain trying to compute. Makes sense. That makes really good sense. Actually, that's a good tip. Yeah. So, well, I want to get into one more thing here, Brian, before we uh, we wrap this up. If you got a few more minutes on you, I'm good. Uh, so with your arrows, they are they are a higher cost. Um. Uh -huh. uh, about what 200 bucks a dozen somewhere around there yeah the the well the shafts are 170 and the mm -hmm. fletched arrows are crap are they 190 i think they're 190 yeah well that's yeah. that's because you're going through a lot of arrows to find the ones that you're actually coming out with right i mean that's well I've, I've got i've got a couple of things working against me but you know I, I gotta say though i've looked at a lot of the stuff that's out there i don't know that we're that much higher once you get into that that type of tolerance error, I don't think. Um, yeah, I mean, with the grizzly sticks and all those things out there, and I've never shot the grizzly sticks, but they're you're you're. I think you're playing in those those guys' uh, price range. I, I believe. Yeah, probably, probably so. Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember what some of the the platinums and the things like that cost, yeah. but anyway, um, here's the thing. This is the this is the honest truth. We're small potatoes. Okay, we're not buying, you know, two million shafts a year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, we can't we can't go buy arrows like the big boys can. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Like a yeah. quantity discount kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a volume thing. And then the other side of the coin is, is that, you know, we're asking them to build these arrows unlike the way they're building anything else in their factory. Okay, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that you may have the same arrow built that's got four different companies logos on it, but it's the same arrow, the same factory. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna say that happens, but it very <laughs> possibly could. Uh -huh. um, so we're asking them to build something that they don't have anything else to do with it. So okay. if it doesn't meet spec, it doesn't go into our lesser quality coal pile it goes into a recycle bin does that make sense yeah and i'm glad you said that because that's where i was leading yep. with that yep. is is why don't you guys have a a lesser quality arrow is it because you just want to keep the high quality out there you know i'll be totally honest with you 
I built this arrow for me. This is the arrow I wanted. I didn't want anything else. And I thought, I'm only going to build this arrow the way I want it. And if there's people that want the same arrow, that's what I'm going to provide them. Mm-hmm. And I have an, I catch enough grief from our customers that have all the fine, meticulous tools and setups. I catch enough grief from those guys about tolerances. <laughs> and, you know, the, listen, I love it. I want, let me tell you this. This is the God's honest truth. Those guys like you that have all the stuff and are meticulously building their setups, that is the greatest QC I can have. And it's the greatest form of feedback I can have. Hmm. So let's say that every 10 customers is a Garrett that has everything. Well, now I've got a guy calling me going, Hey man, two of these errors are not quite like this. And they're like that. I'm like, okay, let me check that for every one of the, every one of the guys like you that have the ability to go through and check everything to a meticulous level. I'm getting feedback from guys like you, every 10th customer that says, Hey, you might want to check this. You might want to look that. What about this? Sometimes it's valid. Sometimes it's not. And I have to explain it, mm-hmm. but it's a great way for me to get good feedback and good constructive criticism. I want it. I welcome it. I love it. Okay. So, but I don't want to go through that at the lower level. <laughs> I don't want to go through that to where I'm getting a, a say, not a perfect product, a slightly inferior product, and mm-hmm. then have to go through that same scrutiny on those. Well, I don't think these are meeting this. I don't think this is quite right. Hmm. I don't want to go through that. I just want to produce one arrow that I think is the single best hunting arrow you can buy. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to produce. And, you know, we're working on a broadhead right now. Um, we're working diligently to get this thing, uh, you know, available by May or June. Mm-hmm. So people can, you know, try it and use it for this next season. And it's the same thing. I want to build what I feel is the perfect head for compound shooters and the perfect head for a trad shooter Hmm. based on what I want. And if it's what other guys want, then great. We'll sell a bunch of them. If it's not, then I'll just have a bunch of broadheads. Hmm. But that's the way I I kind of am approaching all this stuff is I just know what I want and that's the way I'm going to build it. I'm going to build it one way and hopefully people like it so far people have really liked the arrows well i i appreciate your where you're coming from and the mindset and although all the work that it basically took to get these arrows out there because it sounds like you and i are like brain twins man (laughs) just (laughs) listening to you i I just i I love it so um i'll I'll have to get some arrows and 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 test them out and shoot them and stuff and then i'm really looking forward to testing the uh the momentum at longer ranges kind of uh, speed reduction or the velocity shedding thing. Uh, there's a term that you use for it. Yeah. Shed uh, velocity. I, sh- I, mean, I think you'd, I think you'd be the right person to do it. And mm-hmm. I think you'd be very objective. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've noticed over the years is the guys that have done the testing, mm-hmm. they have a dog in the fight. Mm-hmm. There's an ax to grind. There's, there's a, th- that's why I haven't got online and done some of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, like Aaron's been telling me, man, let's order some ballistic gel and do this and do that. I'm like, well, you know, I don't want to be the one to do that because I <laughs> I don't think it's going to come across as from an objective place. Mm-hmm. I want somebody that's the net neutral. You know, I want a, a archery Switzerland guy to do it, you know, right. that's, that's, 
doesn't have a, a you know a dog in the fight or a pig in the farm. Mm-hmm. They're just want to see what the real results are, not trying to sell anything. And that's why I feel like guys like you mm-hmm. are so valuable to the archery community because it's unbiased. And that's what I want people, to, maybe if they get anything out of this conversation, is if you're going to listen to guys, man, listen to guys that are unbiased and they're just trying to build the best setup for themselves, mm-hmm. not trying to sell something. Well, I appreciate that, man. And and I've tried, <laughs> I don't know if you heard or if you listened to the podcast, we did one the other day about bows and uh, <laughs> I just got a kick out of it. Just uh, awesome was like, we ain't sponsored by anybody as he's That's like, the way to be. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, why do you think that people listen to what Aaron Snyder says? Exactly. exactly. His only sponsor he wants in life is Copenhagen. He doesn't want anybody. <laughs> That's it. Right. You know? I mean, because he wants to shoot what he wants, yeah. not what somebody else wants him to shoot. And, of course, he has no concept of the value of money, so there's those <laughs> two things. Well, I, I really appreciate your time, Brian. And, and uh, is there any clothing th- uh, thoughts that you want to sh- – uh, or any links to anything that you want to send people to? Uh, no, you know, you can just follow us on Instagram, uh, Day6Gear. Um, uh, Aaron helps me with that, and he – always posts great things and cool stuff and uh i'm terrible at it and mm. uh, uh i've got to up my my instagram game uh <laughs> or i'll never be insta famous it is um, i'll tell you it is important i mean there's there's a lot of benefits to having a, a good presence and communicating with people on there um yeah or you could just have a guy like aaron do it for you yeah or if yeah if he's if he's doing that for people send him my way too <laughs> no no, you couldn't afford him. Let me tell you. Oh, I imagine. I have to. I have. I have to pay him in arrows, and he goes through more arrows than any human alive. <laughs> I've never seen. I've never seen anybody shoot as much as this guy shoots. But anyway, that's um, no. Our Instagram page is great, and he puts videos up all the time. You know how things go together. If we get a lot of questions from um, customers about, you know, like ten questions that are the same about how do these things go together. He'll, I'll say, hey man, these people are trying to figure this out. He'll hop on there and show how it goes together. Mm-hmm. So it's it's great having somebody like him that can do it so quickly. Man, it would take me twenty minutes to figure out how to post the video on. There. <laughs> you know, I'm just not that technical when it comes to the, you know, the the social media stuff. But our website's pretty easy to follow. It's pretty easy to order from. We've made it pretty simple to where you don't have to order our arrows and then take them to an archery shop, you know, we'll cut them and install it and spin Mm -hmm. test them and get them ready to go. And I guess the only other thing I would say is, is that if you buy arrows from us and something's not right, I will make it right immediately. If not faster, I am 100% customer service. Mm -hmm. It's not about the money. It's about making sure guys are happy. If you're not happy, I don't want the money and I don't want you to have something you don't want, but I just want the opportunity to make it right before you start pouncing on the internet. That's right. the only thing that drives me nuts. Well, I, I appreciate that and I wish more more companies had that that mindset. It once seems like with some of them, especially doing reviews for for quite a few products and just shooting a lot of once something goes south, you really find out which ones are the ones you want to work with. So You bet. You bet. Um, so, so but I've enjoyed it, buddy. Well, I appreciate you coming on to the podcast for, shoot, it's almost been almost two hours already, man. So I'll let you get going. No and 
we'll have to get you back on maybe when you come out with your broadhead and uh, yeah. you can go over that with me and see what you got. So, well, I'll send you some. I know you YouTube guys like to shoot blocks and steel <laughs> and plywood and shit. So I'll let y'all go tear them up. Well, I appreciate that, man. Well, you have a great night, and uh, I'll catch you. I'll catch you here soon. I'm sure. Sounds great. <laughs> See ya. Well, that's this episode of the podcast. Thanks, Brian, for coming onto the show. You're an awesome guest with a lot of information and uh, with with your hunting background and what you've done um, so far. I, I really value your opinion, and uh, it was great to hear some some things that I never thought about, and, and some things that I've always had that I've that, that I've preached on based off of my experiences. But to hear those things kind of validated through your experiences really makes me feel like I'm on the right track. So hopefully you guys got a lot out of this episode. I know some of the stuff prior in the beginning was a little dry with the arrow manufacturing, but I was really feeling my own need for, to know that. I just have always been curious about materials and sourcing and stuff. But when you get farther towards the middle, and, and I just felt like there's a lot of really good information and. Uh, what Brian and I discussed off the podcast, I am super freaking excited about what he has coming out later this year. Uh, super excited. I'm not, I'm not just hyping it out. I am legitimately excited to try some of the stuff he's got coming. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're a heavy arrow guy, light arrow guy, this, the shit he has coming out. I, if I was going to design it, it would be pretty much exactly what he's coming out with. So, uh, really excited for that. If you guys want to check him out, I'll have uh, links to his uh, Instagrams, websites down below in the in the description box. But uh, be sure to check him out. He's a great guy. Comes out with a great product. He's all about customer service. And uh, I, I think we're going to have him again on the show for sure. So, as always, guys, I appreciate you for for listening. And if you are listening to the outro. You're probably one of the more diehard listeners. I don't know how many people actually listen to the outros, uh, but if you've made it this far, um, you're probably one of the more committed listeners. And if you really like the podcast, be sure to go on to patreon.com forward slash on point podcast. If you want to monetarily support the podcast over and above leaving a review or buying a hat, this is the best way to do it. So as always, guys, appreciate you and I'll see you tomorrow.